I understand that during his third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul was traveling through ancient Macedonia, Greek and Albania today, when he began to notice more and more the fatigue of God's people. It seemed to be that the church was coming increasingly under fire. There was uh, pressure upon people, the pressure just to live in the distinctive way that Jesus had called for was challenging enough, but now persecution was being added to the mix. And he wrote some very powerful words. In fact, we're going to be looking at the letter of Galatians in our real series coming up, but he said this in chapter 6 of that letter, and I want to just pull out this verse. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Let's not, let's not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let's do good to all people and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Like an awful lot of of parents uh, this particular time of year, Amy and I traveled last weekend. We were away from Christ Church. We were on the road down to Austin, Texas in order to attend the graduation ceremony of one of our kids. How many of you have been to a graduation perhaps in recent days? You, You know how exciting that is. Uh, I am the photographer in our family, and I was characteristically disruptive and annoying in exercising that role, insisting on people posing for these important shots that I wanted to capture for our family album. But I took one picture that was entirely unposed and will rank among my favorites in the family album, and it was this one that you can see right here on the screen. If I could caption it, it would be entitled, A Mother's Reward. A Mother's Reward. My wife has been um, the hero of our family's life. She's chosen uh, not to try to become the hero of Christ Church's life. Uh, She has chosen to invest herself really heavily in, in our family. Uh, I I know that I have played some part in helping our boys uh, grow up into being the kind of young adults that they are today, but truthfully, Amy has invested in our kids at a whole different kind of level. Uh, She has loved them and encouraged them from her breast to her knee. Uh, She has made a point of establishing predictable daily rhythms for our kids and fighting for those, to preserve those, when it was hard in order to give them a a, a stable structure in which to grow up in life. 
She has read more books and done more Legos and sponsored more Nerf and water pistol fights than I can even count. And when I was often occupied with trying to serve our church family, Amy was there serving our home family, and she was the one who, more often than not, who brought them to church and got them involved in Sunday school and made sure that they were there in the student ministries and youth activities of our church. She was the one who prepared the Christmas stockings and and organized and moderated the uh, Easter egg hunt when I was over at the church building. She wore out tires driving our boys to sporting activities and tutoring appointments and to music lessons. And to use an agricultural metaphor, if I was the guy who got his name over the gate of the Meyer family farm, my wife was the lead farmer. She was the lead investor in this important work. And she watered and sowed into and fertilized our kids' lives in a very amazing way. As for any mother, I suppose, uh, this was hard and unpredictable work. In various seasons of our family journey, all three of our kids crashed dramatically. Uh, They crashed academically. They became angry and sullen. They drifted away from the faith for a time. And like their father, in his youth, they displayed considerable hygiene deficiencies in moments. Uh, They played loose with the truth. They experimented with dangerous things. They got into trouble with the law, every one of them, at some point. And in the darkest moments, you could understand why Amy would wonder, as did I, what's going to be the fruit of all this? After all of this work, is there going to be any kind of real reward, any lasting reward from it? Now, this may not be your experience as a parent or as a family member. I pray that you're in a season where you can hardly believe how effective and fruitful your parenting is. Uh, Your kids or grandkids are mostly Eagle Scouts and honor roll students and pageant winners. They are accomplished athletes and artists. They are wonderful actors or models. They're people who are just living into exactly who they were meant to be. Maybe you're actually getting tired from hearing from all of their teachers and coaches and bosses how perfect your children are. You're inspired by how they love Jesus and are drawing so many of their friends toward the faith. They are overwhelming you with Mother's Day presents. You are embarrassed by all those effusive things they're saying on those cards. Maybe that's you. But maybe, maybe it's not entirely you. Uh, it could be that you have many happy moments to draw upon, that you have so many clear wins along the way But like in my family, you've also had long periods of parenthood where you felt like you were constantly sowing seeds and you were wearing yourself out weeding and hoeing and you were not sure entirely what was really coming up from the ground or if it would last. There are moms who work extremely hard but whose kids disappoint them or drift from them or reject them altogether. 
I have a heart for those moms whose kids are caught up with bad friends or a partner that she worries is not right for them. There, there are mothers whose children are challenged by severe uh, physical or mental health issues or who wind up on drugs or who go to jail or who don't make it at all. There are mothers and stepmothers and want-to-be mothers and people with a mother wound for whom today, this day that is so celebrated in our society is actually quite a hard day. Even as for so many of others of us, it's such a joyful day when we give thanks for moms and for our moms. Here, I think, is the truth that applies to all of us. To love well is to sometimes be discouraged. To, to love really well is to sometimes have these times of discouragement. Or as Jesus famously said uh, to his own disciples, no matter how hard you try, no matter how careful and conscientious you are in following me in my way, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you'll suffer. It won't go the way you would want it to go. And that is true of parenting and of spheres beyond parenting, as you well know, in marriage, in friendship, in co-working, in church life. To love well, to have our heart really in it, is to sometimes get discouraged and to start questioning the reward of it all. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you will be there soon. Maybe you know somebody who will be. And perhaps then what I'm about to tell you and share with you could be helpful to you or somebody you know. What is Jesus' prescription? What is Jesus' recommendation for a discouraged, uncertain, or imperfect parent or for any of us for that matter? I believe that the first thing that he might say to us is, Keep doing small, creative acts of love. The crazier it swirls, the more I want you to concentrate on continuing to do small, creative acts of love. Now you may think to yourself, wait a second. The problem that's going on in my kid's life or what's going on between us, the issues my boy or my girl, my child or my grandchild has, those issues are so huge. And I think Jesus gets that. Uh, I think you can have great confidence that Jesus sees it all. Whatever you see, he sees more. He sees more of it. The scale, the complexity, the weight of the problem Indeed, the problems of the whole world, Jesus sees that, but still his prescription in the face of all that is keep doing small, creative acts of love. Now, I didn't make that idea up. That idea is all throughout the gospel messages, that the teaching of Jesus Again and again, Jesus emphasizes the significance of those small acts and the reward that is attached to doing them. In Matthew chapter 10, for example, Jesus says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to 
to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Mothers, how many of you have ever, or grandmothers, how many of you have ever given a cup of cold water to a child? Later on in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus lists five additional creative acts to which he also promises a reward to the doer. Those acts are feeding someone, clothing someone, welcoming somebody to come in from the outside, nursing someone when they are sick, and visiting someone when they are imprisoned, when they're in some form of timeout. Think about that list. How many moms or grandmothers have ever done acts like that? How much do you think those acts, those little acts, actually mattered? Please hear me when I say this. Whether or not you got a thank you for doing those things, whether or not you got a Mother's Day card that mentioned those specific sorts of things, God saw every single one of those acts. Everyone that you may have been too bleary-eyed to even think about doing, you were just doing them. He saw every single one of those acts. And Jesus specifically says in Matthew 25 and verse 40, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these least of my brothers and sisters, you did for me. It was like you were we're quenching my thirst and my hunger and my need for clothing and my need for uh, nurture and my need for visit and my need for welcome. When you did those little acts of love, you were serving me. You were right in line with what I long for. And there is a reward for this. Jesus goes on and makes that very clear in his teaching. At the close of this teaching, when you do these small creative acts of love, you enter into eternal life, said Jesus. The reward of this is you enter into eternal life. Now I need to qualify that because there's a fair amount of confusion in the modern day Christian world about what Jesus meant when he talked about eternal life. A lot of us have been taught to think of eternal life as almost exclusively about a super abundance of time. A life that goes on forever. The thought that we have absorbed is that if we do enough acts of love, enough acts of virtue, the reward is that we get to live forever. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I bet a lot of us think that way. We have bought into this particular idea. My study of the New Testament, however, convinces me that everlasting life is not the ultimate reward for our good deeds. It's not. 
we can receive everlasting life by putting our trust in Christ's great deed upon the cross, that, that is a reward that comes not from our righteousness but from his. But when Jesus spoke of the eternal life that we can enter into when we do good deeds, he was talking not about a quantity of time so much as a quality of being, that's the reward. The greatest reward that a mother gets, or in fact any of us can get, from doing small acts of creative love is that our being is improved by that, those acts. That, that, that whether we see the fruit in our kids' lives or not, by doing these acts, the reward is we become more like Jesus himself who was constantly doing these things. We become more like God himself. We align ourselves further with the character of God and of his coming kingdom in these simple acts of creative love. And so when she waters and feeds and clothes and welcomes and nurtures and visits the least or the little ones around her, a mother's reward greater than any Mother's Day card, greater than any spa certificate, is that she is serving Jesus. She is becoming more like Jesus. She is bringing forth the kingdom of Jesus into this world in a tangible way. And that's a glorious reward. So I would just say moms and, and grandmothers and, and mentors of many kinds, whether or not human beings see it, whether or not other people celebrate it, when you stop to pray for a child, when, when you write them a note of encouragement about what you see in them, when you speak a word of challenging truth that helps your child face something about themselves that needs to be faced in order for them to become what they could be, you are entering and you are expressing that quality of love that eternity is all about. No reward is more valuable than this, to have Jesus smiling at you and God saying, yes, you are indeed my daughter. You have a heart after my heart. You're bringing forth my kingdom. When I think back upon it, uh, I think that my own mother was often eclipsed by my dear father. Um, I mean no criticism of my dad here, especially since I think he might be tuning in this morning at this hour. I don't mean that. My dad was a charismatic public figure. And my mom was a quieter lower wattage kind of light, but equally illuminating. My mother's light lay not in the immensity of space she filled, but in the intensity of the space on which she focused. You see the, dis the difference? This is where my mom's light really shone in a laser-like way, usually on the person right in front of her. I'll ever be grateful that my dad taught me how to honor and to help public institutions. But I will always be so grateful 
that I know how to honor and to help particular individuals because of my mom. And every time I, I pray with someone in a time of turmoil or I stand by the graveside with a family or I talk with a skeptic about the mystery of God, it's my mom's gifts that I'm channeling. I know they are. She was and is still, by God's grace, somebody who showed me what it means to do small, creative acts of love that mediate the reality of the eternal kingdom of God. And my question to you this morning is, what have you learned from your mother and from your father about the character of the kingdom and of the Christ? And what can you as a mom or a dad or a mentor of some other kind do to help other people enter into an experience of that glorious kingdom. How many of you ever wish that you could script the future for your family members? How many of you think I know what this child should do with his or her life. I know the path that she or he should pursue. I know the choices that they should make. Being as bright as we are, we're so naturally and so understandably focused, I think, towards designing the future for the people we love. I plead guilty. I want my child, I want my community, I want my church, I want my country to be like this. I often have thoughts like that. But here's a brutal fact that the Bible underlines a lot. Only God knows what will be. I can't remember the verse, but somewhere, uh, Jesus comments that don't go around saying, I'm going to do this tomorrow, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this. And that's, that's great that you've got a sense of purpose, but you do not know what will be. Only God knows what will be. So approach the future with humility, Jesus was saying to the people he spoke to that day. Abraham did not anticipate that he would be called to sacrifice Isaac. The prophet Samuel did not anticipate that God would anoint as king of Israel an afterthought kid named David, a little runt out in the field. The Israelites did not understand how their exile was actually an essential part of their spiritual formation. The Pharisees and the Sadducees never saw Jesus coming. couldn't even recognize the Messiah in front of them. Mary and the disciples did not foresee Easter. The first disciples had no idea that Jesus' earthly departure was a good thing, that it would lead to the era and the age of the Holy Spirit and the alteration of history that followed from that. And I submit that you and I do not fully understand all that God is doing in the crazy circumstances of our time or in the not what I would choose circumstances of our family's life. 
1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 reads, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. God's purposes are inscrutable, but they are also unstoppable. His good purposes are unstoppable. He is God, we are not. He will get his plan done. And along the way, our job, and this is the key idea I wanna stress here, our job is to focus on the inputs and not so much on the outcomes. The commendation that we're gonna get to hear one day from Jesus, I pray, as he describes in the famous parable of the talents, is well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want at the, at the ultimate encounter, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I hope you'll note that Jesus doesn't say, well done, good and fruitful servant. Because fruitful servant, the word fruitful is about the outcomes, about the particular ways that his purposes will work. But faithful servant, he says, and faithfulness is about the inputs. It's about those small acts of creative love. I love how the Apostle Paul puts this in his final letter to the church at Corinth. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. What's the one purpose? Be faithful. Provide the inputs. Leave the outcomes, the ultimate outcomes to him. In every age, it's just natural, human beings, we wanna control the future. It's not all bad, I think the Lord values the labor that we exert to try and honor his purposes, to try and shape the kind of future we think would be good. But as St. Paul says, at the end of the day, it is only God who makes things grow. And he has this rather mysterious way, the scriptures suggest, of using very small acts of love and mustard seeds and tiny grains of yeast and expanding their influence in ways that we can't imagine from where we sit. We can't imagine in the moment. And God is always at work beyond our doing in the lives of the people that we love. When Amy was just faithfully investing in our so struggling ninth grader, she couldn't foresee that picture. <laughs> There's no way this kid's gonna grow up and be a PhD. This kid is flunking out. There's no way she could have foreseen that. When some of you have invested so much of your heart in one of your kids and it, and it didn't turn out like you had planned or you actually lost them entirely from this earth. It had to be almost impossibly hard to imagine the arms of Jesus stretching out to your kid. 
He is the good shepherd who goes in search of the lost sheep. He is the glorious redeemer who will one day make everything new and right. He is the great gardener. He is the Lord of the harvest. And so in the meantime, we can unclench a bit and remember that our job as parents and grandparents and disciples of Jesus is mainly to be faithful in the sowing, in the watering, in the tending of that part of the kingdom that we can touch. So if you continue to do small acts of creative love, I believe you can be confident there will be a reward. Please pray with me. O God of love and wisdom, your scriptures tell us that as a mother comforts her children, so shall you come alongside of your people with strength. Hear once again our gratitude for those moms and other mentors who have dared to invest in us, believing in our potential for growth. And as your servant Paul encouraged the church of Galatia long ago, keep us from becoming weary in doing good, trusting that by your grace at the proper time, we will see a harvest if we do not give up. In the name of Jesus, we live and pray, saying together, amen.